Amen. Good morning, family. It's great to be together. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. But uh, let's pray. Amen. God, we come before you right now and we pray that our hearts feel at peace. And if they don't, I pray that we can do as we've prayed to surrender all to you this morning, that we can rejoice and be glad that we are in your presence, Father. Pray that that is a, a, a spirit where we are zealous, we are excited. Uh, and if we are not, I pray that we can just find peace and, and move to, to a, a greater place with You, Lord. I love You, Father. Be with me as I preach the Word this morning. Let the, Your Spirit work powerfully through me and in each and every one of our hearts. We praise You, O God. Amen. Alright, well, I, uh, I wanted to start telling you guys a, a little bit of kind of a story. If you've, most of you have met my children, and if you have not, uh, my youngest child, his name is Sam, and if you want to know what Sam looks like, just envision one of those like baby cherubs that's got the big fat cheeks and like, and just looks really adorable. That's what he looks like, okay? And if, if you know him, then you can attest that that's true, right? Okay. Yeah, that's what he looks like. Uh, James, James is three and a half, and so Sam is, is 15 months old, James is three and a half, and if you want to know what he looks like, he's going to zip by you at some point at the end of service, a uh, little blonde boy in a UVM hockey shirt, that's him. Uh, but my kids, I, I love being a dad, um, and, and lately Sam has been doing this thing, and I tried to get it on a video all week long. Uh, but he just he wouldn't do it for me when they never do it when you're trying to get a video of something cute, right? Or rarely. But he's done this thing recently where when I go in to get him up from his nap, like he'll kind of do like the yelling, like you know, ah, it sounds like he's crying, but really he's just making enough noise to make sure we hear him. And I come into the room, and you know he's in his he's in his crib, and the, the lights are off. And then I, I walk in the room. And the first, he just like lights up, grabs the side of his crib, and he's standing there, and he does this like high leg, like, <laughs> you know? And it's just so incredibly cute. And then I walk over, and I'm like, Sam, you know? And I pick him up, and he, he goes, ah! You know, as I, as I pick him up, he's just so excited. And, uh, and then I asked Kristen, I was like, does he do that for you? And she goes, no. <laughs> and I was just, it was fun, you know, just... Ask that because it's so special, you know. And there's times where when I when I've been gone out of the house for whatever, even it doesn't have to be that long, but sometimes you know several hours. And I'll come home, and the the kids will be in like the the living room. So you walk into our house right from the front door, and just a little you can kind of it's one floor first. We have a multi level, and so you walk in, and our living room's a little ways away, and our dining room is kind of right next to it. And I'll walk in the front door. And both boys, I mean, will just be like, Dad! Like, and start yelling. And, and Sam just is just barely walking at this point. He, he does a good job for just barely walking. But James will run around like the corner and then just run to me and be like, Dad! And, and Sam comes around and he's like, Dad, 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 I mean, he's just imitating his big brother at this point. It's making as much noise as possible. Um, but that is so incredibly special. To, to have my kids just like, I come home and they're just so happy to see me. You know, and they just, they, like me showing up 
in their presence is is just awesome to them, right? And when they respond that way, I'm just I like I get on the ground and I'm just so ex- I'm so excited, I'm so moved. I just I love it. And I just think like literally God, I am just such a blessed man. You know, to to have my kids just want to be with me like that. And and it makes me think of Genesis chapter 2 when when God creates everything, he creates man and he says, thank you. You know, he he creates the world and he creates grass and he creates the sky and the birds and the animals and all of the things he says, oh, they are good. But when he makes man, he says they are very good. That's what he says. And then he he designs, he makes this garden in the world. And in that garden, he puts man inside. And when he's he's there, he he comes and he visits the garden. And he will, it says that he would walk in the garden in the cool of day. He would come and he would spend time in the garden with Adam. And one of the first things he did with Adam is he said, he gave him a job, he gave him a task, and he said, Adam, I want, I want you to name all the animals. And so he, he'd put him in the garden and then he'd bring him animals. And then he'd let Adam name the animals. And, and I wonder if there's times where when God would show up at the, you know, in the cool of the day, whatever that was, and Adam just like runs. I think of James when I come home sometimes and James grabs me and drags me into the other room when he wants to show me like, look what I made, like, look at this, look at this, Dad, you know, and and just shows up. If Adam was just like, you're here, like, let me show you what I named today. Like, okay, this is named that, and this is named that, and this is named... I mean, just, that's kind of what I envision sometimes. Even if, just that purity of heart, you know, early on, I got to think, even if Adam was a grown man, however it was, there's, there's just purity of heart that he's got, right? And just an eagerness to see God. And then, but in all that time, you know, he names all these animals and all of that, and he decides, you know what? It's not good for you to be alone, though. I want to find you a suitable partner, and he makes Eve. And prior to even making Eve, though, when God would let Adam be alone in this garden that he made, he gave him only one rule. Only, only one. I mean, you think of like, there's only one restriction the whole time. He just said, do not eat from the fruit of this one tree. Right? Just don't eat of that fruit. And that's the only rule. You've got free reign. I made this. I'm sharing it with you. And I love coming, just spending time with you. You get what I'm saying? And so he's, he's made all of this. And then he makes Eve. And it's not recorded that he told Eve that. But what we see is that Adam tells... It, it's likely that Adam told Eve. He goes, alright, God said that we can eat of any tree in the garden. But we, we can't eat of this one and we can't even touch it. Because if we do, we'll die. And, you know, given that that's not what God said, He didn't, didn't say don't touch it. But, so it's interesting to see that Adam took that very seriously. The idea of like, okay, don't eat the fruit, he went a little farther and was like, hey, 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 don't even touch that tree. You know? And, and relayed that but here, when you, you think of what it was like for them, both of them even, when God shows up, how did they feel? Did they run to Him and being excited about God being there? And we're going to pick up, though, in this passage where 
things really begin to fall apart. Right? And we're going to read in, in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read just verses 1 through uh, 13. And I just think about the idea, I wish that they had just listened to God's voice alone. Right? That they had sought and trusted God's voice more than anything else. We're going to look at Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals of the Lord, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also uh, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, Where are you? He answered, He called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that is commanded you not to eat? I commanded you not to eat from. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all the livestock and all the wild animals. And he goes on uh, and and explains that curse further. But when I look at this passage, I look and I see what happened, right? You have this cunning... Creation, this cunning serpent that's that's in the garden, and he places this doubt in Eve's mind. You know, and, and early, you know, early Jews and, and most scholars, nobody believes that this is a uh, a scientific document. By the way, if you're ever trying to read the the Bible in the context of Science, that's just not how it's intended, its intended purpose. There is, there's so much in this passage that as the Jewish people in, in the 800 and 900 BC, as they're relaying this and Moses is, is putting all of this down, he is trying to explain the, the creation story in a 
about a literal event that happened in a not necessarily literal way. But so was there a, a talking serpent? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always think it's funny, by the way, we always think of a serpent. When you think of it, you think of it as having no uh, coming out of the tree, like slithering out, right? As most of us think. So the serpent would have had legs at that point. Like if you ever think about like how you think of it, it should have had legs, at least. Maybe arms, but it would have at least had legs because later it gets cursed and it has to crawl on its belly, right? So it's interesting to think, like, how do we approach the Bible sometimes? We have images that we've put in our heads that's not always there. But we look at the scripture and, and what do we see? That this serpent is there and he begins to deceive Eve. And in the beginning of that deception, his role is first to cause doubt. It's not to just outright lie. It's just to start, did God, did God really say that? Is that what you heard? You know, and, and she's like, well, God did say this. You know, don't eat of it. Don't touch it. We don't have that added portion there as far as don't touch it. And he's like, surely you won't die. And in fact, they didn't die right away, but we know that eventually they did die. And, and it's not necessarily speaking of just the physical death either. But we look at this passage, and as they eat this fruit, for the first time, they experience Shame and fear. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, in our lives, if we'd never experienced shame or fear before. All of us have. I'm certain of this. But to have never experienced shame or fear. And then suddenly, you're overwhelmed by it to the point of your... One of the the relationships you're amazed by, the God that you want to spend time with and run to, He shows up and you flee. And you run away. And you, you think, like, God is amazing. Like, they know Him. They love Him. They spent time with Him. They, they, all of this time, He is awesome. Right? And yet, suddenly, they're overwhelmed by this fear and this shame. Caused by their disobedience. Caused by their sin. And, and then God shows up and He starts asking the questions. And I believe that when He's, he's asking questions, He's not asking, you know, where are you? Like, you can't find them. I think he's asking these questions to draw them out. He knows where they're at, but it's going, you are not where I left you. Not, not physically, but even in your hearts. Like, where are you? And they've got to come to him. And then he starts asking the questions, what happened? Who told you you're naked? You know, what have you done? Did you do this? And, and getting them to, to voice it and saying, this is what has happened. This is what has happened. And in that process, if you ever think about being resolved with somebody, sometimes you just have to ask questions. Right? You don't just go in and go, you ate of the fruit, I told you not to do that. If you were to talk to a child, you say, what happened? Right? You try to get them to talk about it. You, you, you pull them out of where they are. And that's what we see God doing, even in this moment. And I love that He's not trying to just punish right away. He's trying to draw them out. And I love that about God. And even what you see later in, in chapter 3 is one of His first real actions is He clothes them. It's benevolent. He, gives, he covers over and meets them where they're at. But they, 
I look at this story and, and for them, they ran and hid from their awesome God. And that reminds me of, of a story in my own life. So as a kid, my dad, my dad used to race like race cars. So we're talking a lot about racing today. But uh, my dad actually used to race like stock cars, like a, a pro-am, kind of a circuit. You know, it's like a two-mile circle track. And if you think that's not a sport, please talk to me afterward, and I'll tell you exactly why it is. Um, but, you know, he used to race race cars. And, we're, and I just thought, my dad, I mean, already I thought my dad was awesome. I mean, most people feel like their dad is awesome. And, and not everybody gets to have that sort of relationship, but I thought my dad was amazing. Okay, he drives race cars. Your dad doesn't have a race car in his garage. Mine does. You know, so I just, that was always so cool. And I remember I would, we'd go to the races and I'd sit in the bleachers as a young kid and, and I could not wait to turn 13 years old so then I could go down into the pits with my dad and help him swap out tires and do stuff. And I just, that's what I wanted to do. But as a kid, I had to sit up in the bleachers and watch. And at the end of the races, like, all I wanted to do was just run, like, I would be that kid, like, jostling with the other kids to try to get through the gate first, to, like, run down into the pits so I can get to my dad. And, and sometimes, you know, he won pretty frequently, so that was, that was cool, too, right? Uh, and so then I'd get to, like, go into the circle with him, and, you know, that was always really fun. My dad was awesome. But I remember this one time I was sitting with my sisters, and we were at the races, and I have a twin... And she was, um, she was being a little bit of a brat, we'll put it that way. And so I, I had heard my mom use a phrase to describe her at different points that was not an acceptable phrase for me to use. But I used it, and I, 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 I told her something. And, and my younger sister Molly was there, and Megan was there, who's my twin, and she said, they, they were like, my stepmom wasn't there at the time. And so they're like, we're telling on you. And I'm probably like nine. And I'm like, well, didn't know what to say because I'm thinking in my head, well, that's what mom said. So that means I'm right, you know. Um, but I still, my stepmom came back. They told on me. And then I like went and kind of sat by myself. And she's like, I'm going to tell your father. Um, and I did not want to go in the pits. At that point, like I, I did not, I did not run down to go to the gate that day. Uh, and when we got there, uh, when we finally went in, you know, my mom, my stepmom made me walk next to her, and then we, she's like, "Go sit in the front seat of the truck." And what was playing through my head is, they're not going to listen to me. I was already, I felt scared. I, I you know, I'm like, they're not going to listen to me. I felt bad. I felt a little shamed. I was frustrated. You know. And, and I felt all of these things, but predominantly, I was just scared. And I'm sitting in the front seat of the truck, and nobody's come to talk to me, and I'm there for a little while, and all of these tapes are playing in my head. Just this voice is going. And finally, just overwhelmed, I just, I, I get out of the truck, and I run off. And I actually run probably 200, 300 yards away, and hide behind one of the barrier walls that circles the track, the inner part of the track. And I just sit there. And, and racing was a family affair, so I had cousins, and my grandmother was there, and everything. And, and I'm hiding behind this wall, and people are starting to leave. And they're walking out the back gate to leave. And, and then they start looking for me. It took 
I don't know how long, but they start looking for me, and, and they're all yelling my name, and I can hear my dad, and I can even see my dad, but he, he can't see me, because I'm looking over the wall, and I'm hiding, and I remember crouching down behind my wall, just, you know, sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared, I'm feeling all of these feelings, and I can see him, I can hear him, but I just don't want to go to him, right, and... I just knew that I, I was filled with shame. I was afraid. And so I distanced myself, just like Adam and Eve did, from God. Right? You know, and, real, and, and the reality of it is that is exactly what we've all done at one time or another. Yeah. Right? As whether, you've, whether you have become a, a disciple of Jesus and baptized, whether you've, you're, you're, you know, before that happened, but even now sometimes... Right? Sin gets into our lives and then we just feel like, I can't, I can't go to God. I can't, I'm too, mm-mm. You know? Some people are afraid to step into a church service because they think the roof's going to fall in, right? You've got some people who just, they, they won't come in because they feel like they don't belong. And if that's you, you belong here, I promise. But the reality being that, man, God is so excited, if that's how you feel, for you to draw close to Him. He's so excited, right? Some, I've known disciples, people who follow Jesus, who get into sin and they feel like, I can't have a quiet time. I can't pray. But, and sometimes it's, I don't want to, but sometimes it's just, I feel too ashamed to. And that's just not how God wants us to feel. He's, he's just going, where are you? You know, there's the part of our heart that He's calling to you through the Spirit. Where are you? Not like He doesn't know where you are, but He's trying to draw you out again. And we feel it, but we're just busy hiding behind our own walls. Right? That we've, we've run away and we're trying to hide. I think about the question of whose voice are you listening to? The tape's played in my head. Eve was listening not to whether it was God or whether it was Adam that told her. She's not listening to the voices she was supposed to be listening to. She started being deceived and listening to voices other than that. What voices do you listen to these days? Is the serpent whispering in your ear about who you are before the eyes of God? Do you not realize that he thinks, like, you're amazing? The thing he loves more than anything is the idea of, I love when my kids run to me. And God is saying, like, I love when you run to me. You know, it's just like, ah, I, I just want to be with my kids. I pick Sam up and he's like, ah, and I'm just, I'm just so pumped. And God, it feels that way no matter if it's, we're in the depths of our sin. God's like, come to me. I want to give you peace and relief and love you. That's our God, isn't it? I mean, I just love that about who he is. You guys get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's awesome. And so if you're, whether you're plagued by it, you know, and, and now some people, it's, it's the sin of, of whether it's impurity, whether it's a number, it could be so many other things of, of lies or deceit that you've had. It could be issues of, of pride and greed, and those are the scary ones because sometimes we're, if you're stuck in the pride and greed scenario, we don't realize, like, those don't make us feel quite as shameful. We tend to be like, I don't need you, God. Right? And maybe that's where you are, and I pray that there's some repentance there for you and you can get humbled. But man, 
God wants to be near you. Amen. you know, and so, I look at all of this and I encourage you, you've got to be listening to God. Listen and accept that He loves you. You know, God's first action later, as I said before, was that His first real action was a benevolent one, is that He made clothes for Adam and Eve. They were perfect the way He, he made them. He said, you are very good. And yet somehow they felt inadequate now. He didn't try to convince them, and that's not how you need to feel. He met them where they were. He made them some clothes. And I love that. And that was the first action he really took. Before he, he took them out of the garden, he clothed them to try to help them you know, meet them where they're at. And that's amazing too. I mean, it's even something that each of us can think about. How do we deal with people when we go and try to draw them out or meet them where they are? You know, he wanted to cover their nakedness and alleviate their shame. Right? He wanted to remove their fears as best he could. And so, he then, you know, did he tell them about there's going to be consequences for these actions that you did? Certainly. He definitely had consequences. They had to leave the garden. That didn't mean they had to leave His presence, by the way. It didn't mean that, that God wasn't still with them. It's just they no longer were allowed in the garden. Sometimes we think, like, they sinned and now they could no longer be with God. But God still went with them. You see it with Cain and Abel. You see it with a lot of people. I mean, it, God's presence was still there. And, you know, I, I think of all of this is how God desires to reconcile relationships. He clothed them, but what about us? You know, in Christ, we were clothed with Christ. You think of, in Galatians chapter 3, it actually tells us that you have been, at your baptism, you have been clothed in Christ. You you put on the robes of, of a child of God, and God now sees you as His Child, just like Jesus. And I, I think that's incredible. And, and it goes on, though, talking about how God is trying to reconcile us and bring us back. And if you've got your Bible, go over to Colossians chapter 1. You guys with me? We're going to look at verse 21 and 22. Colossians chapter 1. It says, Once... I'll give you one more second. In chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You know, I read this scripture and I think, because of my actions, I became at odds with God. That didn't mean God became my enemy. It was in, to me, I became God's enemy. I stood in opposition to Him. It says, in your minds. And yet God, you think, was God our enemy? 
No. Quite the opposite. God is, is the one performing the benevolent actions. He's the one that sends Jesus to be our Savior. He's the one that makes it possible for us to be brought into His presence and, and stand before Him unashamed. Right? God is not my enemy. God is my Redeemer. He's my Savior. He's the one, he's the one trying to restore me and call me back. Even it, it, there's so many of the scriptures they talk about that idea of while you were enemies, Christ died for you, yeah. right? And so, no matter where you think you stand with God, God is on your side. What an incredible Father we have, yeah. right? And for me, I think of what I needed to get back to my father, to get back to my family when I'm hiding behind that wall at that racetrack. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm distant, I'm separated, I'm sitting down by myself in the dirt. And as people are leaving, they can hear my family calling. And this one guy sees, sees me. So he's, he's walking out about maybe 40, 45 yards away from where I was, out the back gate. And he, had, he, he looks over, and I guess he saw me sitting behind this concrete wall. And he starts walking over. And he didn't wave at my folks or anything like that. He just walked over and then he just knelt down next to me. And he goes, hey, are they looking for you? And I was like, yeah, you know. He goes, they seem like they're really worried about you. And over, it took a couple minutes, but he just, he talked to me. He asked me what happened. He, he drew me out. And he persuaded me that I should go back. So he, he, he walked back with me, and we walked. And he ended up taking me back. I want to get back with my family. You know? And you think about that. That's Jesus. Amen. That's Jesus. He's the one that comes on the other side of the wall. He's the one that if we really get it, and we read the Scriptures, and we understand, He's there going... No, God really loves you. And He's persuading us and teaching us if we can understand and hear His voice and listen to the Scriptures and read and connect. No matter if, if that was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it doesn't matter when you became a Christian. He's still making sure. He's going, hey, this is where you belong. Right? And He's amazing that He does that for us. Our God is amazing as He calls us back and and tries to bring us back just so that He can walk through the door, whether however you want to look at it, and and us just be like, I am so stinking glad you are home. That's what God wants. That's the God that we serve, the Father that's ready to just scoop us up and be like, yeah, you know? And if, if that's not what you need, He's the Father that's just ready to sit down and hold you. If you're upset. Our God is amazing. Right? And so, I just want us to think about all of this. That through this process, Jesus, He says, I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be ashamed. I died to wash away all of your sin so that you're presented 
without blemish or accusation. Literally, nobody could accuse you because of me. That's why Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, because of Jesus, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Man, God is good. Jesus is so good to us. We, he's like, don't be afraid, don't be scared, be confident about coming to Him. This is all part of God's plan because He wants to be with us. Our God is awesome. So, in conclusion, we have a God who loves humanity. We have a God who loves you and desires to be with you more than anything. He wants to have a close relationship with you. It's crazy. It's foolish. It's senseless to try and run and hide from God. Not only because you literally can't do it, right? But because He's incredible. I mean, in His love, His compassion, His mercy, His understanding, there's no need. It's just, it makes no sense to do it. And so when we're feeling that way, I, I encourage you, you got to, sometimes we've got to try to think with our heads and not with our hearts, and that's hard to do. But we've got to fight to do that. So if you're one who feels that now or often, I encourage you, first, cast, cast that aside and approach God with the confidence that is allowed through the faith of Jesus, faith in Jesus. And second, seek out scriptures that are going to help you build your understanding and conviction about God's grace and mercy. Because if that's how you feel frequently, it means you lack that understanding. And so don't take that as like a dig. That's not a dig. It's just saying, hey, grow in this. Because it's going to make your life so much richer and better. You know, I hope this week we can run to God in our personal time and and whether it's, it's every day, a few times, I hope you can make it every day to get some time with Him. But be eager to tell Him about your day. All that you've done. I named this one this one. I named this one this one. I named this one. You know, whatever it is you've got going on, tell God about it. The good and the bad. He wants to hear about it. Spend some time with Him. And whether it's ambitious plans or achievements that you're excited about or it's some heavy things, just let Him know. He wants to know. He wants to hear all about it. And He's the one that's going to... He's going to feel great. And you are going to feel great when you get that time with our amazing Father. Amen.